Chapter One of the Wonderful History of Peter Schlemiel, the Man Who Lost His Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ashley M. The Wonderful History of Peter Schlemiel, the Man Who Lost His Shadow, by Adelbert von Chamisso, translated by Frederick Henry Hedge. Chapter One. After a fortunate but for me very troublesome voyage we finally reached the port the instant that i touched land in the boat i loaded myself with my few effects and passing through the swarming people i entered the first and least house before which i saw a sign hang i requested a room the servants measured me with a look and conducted me into the garret i caused fresh water to be brought and made him exactly describe to me where i should find mr thomas john for the north gate, the first country house on the right hand, a large new house of red and white marble, with many columns. Good. It was still early in the day. I opened at once my bundle, took thence my new black cloth coat, clad myself cleanly in my best apparel, put my letter of introduction into my pocket, and set out on the way to the man who was to promote my modest expectations. When I had ascended the long north street and reached the gate, I soon saw the pillars glimmer through the foliage. Here it is, then, thought I. I wiped the dust from my feet with my pocket handkerchief, and put my neckcloth in order, and rang the bell. The door flew open. In the hall, I had an examination to undergo. The porter, however, permitted me to be announced, and I had the honor to be called into the park, where Mr. John was walking with a select party. I recognized the man at once by the luster of his corpulent self-complacency. He received me very well, as a rich man receives a poor fellow, even turned towards me, without turning from the rest of the company, and took the offered letter from my hand. So, so, my brother, I have heard nothing from him for a long time, but he is well? There, continued he, addressing the company, without waiting for an answer, and pointing with the letter to a hill. There I am going to erect the new building. Footnote. Here and in what follows through the opening chapter, the author indicates with a satirical subtlety the contrast in the manners of the rich toward the poor, and those of the poor toward the rich, the antithesis of insolence and obsequiousness. He thus prepares the way for his central theme, namely, the inverted relation in human life of worth and esteem, truth and seeming. Milton noticed the fact that the self-sufficiency bred by the habit of looking down upon inferiors often leads to a neglect of thoughtful and sympathetic attention. He says, Courtesy is sooner found in lowly sheds, with smoky rafters, than in tapestry halls, and courts of princes, where it first was named. End footnote. He broke the seal without breaking off the conversation, which turned upon riches. He that is not master of a million, at least, he observed, is, pardon me the word, a wretch. Oh, how true, I exclaimed with a rush of overflowing feeling. That pleased him. He smiled at me and said, Stay here, my good friend. In a while, I shall perhaps have time to tell you what I think about this. He pointed to the letter, which he then thrust into his pocket, and turned again to the company. He offered his arm to a young lady. The other gentlemen addressed themselves to the fair ones, each found what suited him, and all proceeded towards the rose-blossomed mount. I slid into the rear without troubling anyone, for no one troubled himself any further about me. 
the company was excessively lively there was dalliance and playfulness trifles were sometimes discussed with an important tone but oftener important matters with levity and especially pleasantry flowed the wit over absent friends and their circumstances i was too strange to understand much of all this too anxious and introverted to take an interest in such riddles we had reached the rosary the lovely fanny the belle of the day as it appeared would out of obstinacy herself break off a blooming bow she wounded herself on a thorn and as if from the dark roses flowed the purple on her tender hand this circumstance put the whole party into a flutter english plaster was sought for a still thin lanky longish oldish man who stood near and i had not hitherto remarked put his hand instantly into the close-lined breast pocket of his old french grey taffety coat produced thence a little pocket-book opened it and presented to the lady with a profound obeisance the required article she took it without noticing the giver and without thanks footnote an example of the impoliteness often practised in polite society and footnote the wound was bound up and we went forward over the hill from whose back the company could enjoy the wide prospect over the green labyrinth of the park to the boundless ocean the view was in reality vast and splendid a light point appeared on the horizon between the dark flood and the blue of the heaven a telescope here cried john and already before the servants who appeared at the call were in motion the grey man modestly bowing had thrust his hand into his coat pocket and drawn thence the beautiful dolland and handed it to mr john bringing it immediately to his eye he informed the company that it was the ship which went out yesterday and was detained in view of port by contrary winds the telescope passed from hand to hand but not again into that of its owner i however gazed in wonder at the man and could not conceive how the great machine had come out of the narrow pocket but this seemed to have struck no one else and nobody troubled himself any further about the grey man than about him myself refreshments were handed round the choicest fruits of every zone and the costliest vessels mr john did the honours with an easy grace and a second time addressed a word to me help yourself you have not had the like at sea i bowed but he saw it not he was already speaking with some one else the company would fain have reclined upon the sword on the slope of the hill opposite to the outstretched landscape had they not feared the dampness of the earth it were divine observed one of the party but we had but a turkey carpet to spread here the wish was scarcely expressed when the man in the grey coat had his hand in his pocket and was busied in drawing thence with a modest and even humble deportment a rich turkey carpet interwoven with gold the servants received it as a matter of course and opened it on the required spot the company without ceremony took their places upon it for myself i looked again in amazement on the man at the carpet which measured above twenty paces long and ten in breadth and rubbed my eyes not knowing what to think of it especially as nobody saw anything extraordinary in it i would fain have had some explanation regarding the man and have asked who he was but i knew not to whom to address myself for i was almost more afraid of the gentleman's servants than of the served gentleman at length i took courage and stepped up to a young man who appeared to me to be of less consideration than the rest and who had often stood alone i begged him softly to tell me who the agreeable man in the grey coat there was he there 
who looks like an end of thread that has escaped out of a tailor's needle. Footnote. A wit quite like that embodied by Shakespeare in the speeches of Falstaff. End footnote. Yes, he stands alone. I don't know him, he replied, and as it seemed, in order to avoid a longer conversation with me, he turned away and spoke of indifferent matters to another. The sun began now to shine more powerfully and to inconvenience the ladies. The lovely Fanny addressed carelessly to the grey man, whom, as far as I am aware, no one had yet spoken to the trifling question. Whether he had not, perchance, also a tent by him? He answered her by an obeisance almost profound, as if an unmerited honor were done him, and had already his hand in his pocket, out of which I saw some canvas, bowls, cordage, ironwork, in short, everything which belongs to the most splendid pleasure tent. The young gentleman helped to expand it, and it covered the whole extent of the carpet, and nobody found anything remarkable in it. I was already become uneasy, nay, horrified at heart, but how completely so, as, at the very next wish expressed, I saw him yet pull out of his pocket three roadsters. I tell thee, three beautiful great black horses, with saddle and caparison. Bethink thee, three saddled horses, still out of the same pocket out of which already a pocket-book, a telescope, an embroidered carpet twenty paces long and ten broad, a pleasure tent of equal dimensions, and all the requisite poles and irons that come forth. If I did not protest to thee that I saw it myself with my own eyes, thou couldst not possibly believe it. Embarrassed and obsequious as the man himself appeared to be, little as was the attention which had been bestowed upon him, yet to me his grisly aspect, from which I could not turn my eyes, became so fearful that I could bear it no longer. I resolved to steal away from the company, which, from the insignificant part I played in it, seemed to me an easy affair. I proposed to myself to return to the city, to try my luck again on the morrow with Mr. John, and, if I could muster the necessary courage, to question him about the singular grey man. Had I only had the good fortune to escape so well! I had already actually succeeded in stealing through the rosary, and, in descending the hill, found myself on a piece of lawn, when, fearing to be encountered in crossing the grass out of the path, I cast an inquiring glance around me. What was my terror to behold the man in the grey coat behind me and making towards me? In the next moment he took off his hat before me, and bowed so low as no one had ever yet done to me. There was no doubt that he wished to address me, and, without being rude, I could not prevent it. I also took off my hat, bowed also, and stood there in the sun with bare head as if rooted to the ground. I stared at him full of terror, and was like a bird which a serpent has fascinated. He himself appeared very much embarrassed. He raised not his eyes, again bowed repeatedly, drew near, and addressed me with a soft, tremulous voice, almost in a tone of supplication. May I hope, sir, that you will pardon my boldness in venturing in so unusual a manner to approach you. But I would ask a favor. Permits me most condescendingly. But alas, exclaimed I in my trepidation, what can I do for a man who— we both started, and, as I believe, reddened. After a moment's silence, he again resumed. During the short time that I have had the happiness to find myself near you, I have, sir, many times, allow me to say it to you, really contemplated with inexpressible admiration the beautiful, 
beautiful shadow which as it were with a certain noble disdain and without yourself remarking it you cast from you in the sunshine the noble shadow at your feet there pardon me the bold supposition but possibly you might not be indisposed to make this shadow over to me i was silent and the mill-wheel seemed to whirl round in my head what was i to make of this singular proposition to sell my own shadow he must be mad thought i and with an altered tone which was more assimilated to that of his own humility i answered thus ha good friend have not you then enough of your own shadow i take this for a business of a very singular sort he hastily interrupted me i have many things in my pocket which sir might not appear worthless to you and for this inestimable shadow i hold the very highest price too small it struck cold through me again as i was reminded of the pocket i knew not how i could have called him good friend i resumed the conversation and sought if possible to set all right again by excessive politeness but sir pardon your most humble servant i do not understand your meaning how indeed could my shadow he interrupted me i beg your permission only here on the spot to be allowed to take up this noble shadow and put it in my pocket how i shall do that be my care on the other hand as a testimony of my grateful acknowledgment to you i give you the choice of all the treasures which i carry in my pocket the genuine spring root footnote these are references to facts in the popular tales of germany as for instance the spring wurzel or spring root is found in the story of rubizal and the galgen menle or gallows men were little figures cut out of a root said by the dealers and such things in the middle ages to be actual mandrake roots growing in the shape at the foot of a gallows and footnote the mandrake root the change penny the rob dollar the napkin of roland's page a mandrake man at your own price but these probably don't interest you rather fortunus's wishing cap newly and stealthily repaired and a lucky bag such as he had the luck purse of fortunatus i exclaimed interrupting him and great as my anxiety was without one word he had taken my whole mind captive a dizziness seized me and double ducats seemed to glitter before my eyes honoured sir will you do me the favour to view and to make trial of this purse he thrust his hand into his pocket and drew out a tolerably large well-sewed purse of stout cordon leather with two strong strings and handed it to me i plunged my hand into it and drew out ten gold pieces and again ten and again ten and again ten i extended him eagerly my hands agreed the business is done for the purse you have my shadow he closed with me kneeled instantly down before me and i beheld him with an admirable dexterity gently loosen my shadow from top to toe from the grass lift it up roll it together fold it and finally pocket it he arose made me another obeisance and retreated towards the rosary i fancied that i heard him there softly laughing to himself but i held the purse fast by the strings all around me lay the clear sunshine and within me was yet no power of reflection End of chapter 1. Recording by Ashley M.